0: Welcome to Out of the Question, a podcast that looks behind some common questions and uncovers the question behind the question while providing real solutions for biblical world and life view. Your co-hosts are Pastor Steve Macias and Andrea Schwartz, a teacher and mentor.
1: Welcome to the Out of the Question podcast. Today is the last Friday in July of 2019, July 26th, and Before we get into our topic for today, some people have asked me how we come up with our questions that we then get behind to uncover issues that might be more basic than the first question itself implies. Well, Steve and I usually throw out suggestions that come to mind on the basis of something we've been reading, conversations we've had with family and friends, or just general observations about the culture. Then once we settle on a topic, we don't really discuss it until we actually record the podcast. I independently think about it, research it a bit, and then see what happens. The funny thing is that we never seem to be at a loss for words. Steve, can you share a little bit about how you prepare for our podcasts?
0: Well, sometimes we have that process really formal like you're talking about, but other times it's maybe an hour before the podcast you uh, finally settle down on a question, and I quickly jot down some, some scripture that I think is related or referenceable. And uh, we kind of go based on, on that, just like it was a conversation between friends at coffee.
1: That's true. That's why at the end of every podcast we do, we ask people to send in suggestions or give comments. Because aside from the fact that there's many things to talk about that we can then apply God's word to, I think for a lot of people, there's some things that they just don't know how to resolve. And hearing people talk about it, I think, actually helps. So that's our process. And we'll get into today's question, which is, are the labels we use for ourselves and others beneficial or detrimental? I'll let you start, Steve.
0: Well, I think the idea behind this question is, are we by using labels adding value to who we are, or do our labels limit uh, what we describe ourselves as? Uh, I think there are lots of different labels we use theologically. I mean, we call ourselves uh, Reformed, we call ourselves Calvinists, we call ourselves uh, Reconstructionists, and there are benefits to these labels. Uh, but there are other labels that we use uh, to describe ourselves, our proclivities, our habits. You know, sometimes people say that they are not warning people because they want an excuse for getting up late. Or people say they're, they're indoorsy. I know I'm guilty of this as an excuse for not being active. Or they lean on other labels. People say, uh, you know, I, I have a learning disability, or I learn differently, or I'm not a good reader. And they come up with labels that they allow to define who they are. And so there are situations where labels impact who we become. We allow what people say about us, about how we're diagnosed, about how we perceive ourselves to guide who we actually become instead of allowing what God has said about us through his word to define who we are. We look for labels from our peers and the world rather than labels from the word and our Lord.
1: I think this sort of expands beyond that. You're, you're identifying the personal, how we view ourselves, how we talk about ourselves. But as I was thinking about it, I realized that there are a lot of labels that some people mean pejoratively. And depending on your presuppositions and your world in life view, somebody might have just said something about you that you think is a compliment or is flattering. And so the positive labels that are sometimes used against other people are negative depending on your mindset. So I was thinking back when I was growing up, calling somebody a hippie. Well, if you were my age wow, somebody thought I was a hippie. Oh, I, I wanted to be like a hippie. Whereas if an adult calls someone a hippie, it usually meant somebody who wasn't taking, taking a lot of time caring about himself or having purpose in his life. And I think we have labels that way that go conservative or liberal or pro-life or pro-choice or pro-abortion or anti-life. And I think it also becomes a way we dehumanize other people. We just kind of slap a label on them and it sometimes makes it so that we don't really relate to them as people.
0: I think we should begin this conversation with a quote from the guy who wrote Winnie the Pooh, A.A. Uh, a. Milne. And in talking about labels, he says, and I'm not sure if this is actually uh, a thought bubble from Winnie the Pooh himself or just one of uh, Milne's letters, but he said, weeds are flowers too, once you get to know them. And the idea that I think you're really getting into with conservative versus liberal or, or any type of labels is that we begin to lump people into groups and take away their individual identities. If you look at our news cycle, CNN or, or Fox News, wherever poison you choose, there is a map that has states colored in red, light red, dark red, blue, purple, and huge swaths of people. I mean, like here in California, we have a my entire state is colored dark blue. What effect does that label have on how we perceive our responsibility in our culture? I know that there are people in our area who leave the state, leave this area, because they perceive that it's unwinnable. Uh, And I continually remind them that the sick, they need a doctor, right? As our Lord said. Yet these labels really take away from what our Lord has promised, what our Lord has said is going to happen in these areas. We allow the world's parameters through labels to define our fighting terms.
1: And then we don't even use words then that the Bible talks about. So the Bible has labels. It talks about the righteous. It talks about the wicked. But we don't get to assign righteous and wicked based on hair color or body physique or how nice or unnice someone is. These are terms that have actual definitions based on people's relationships to God and his word, and whether or not they're being faithful or unfaithful. So I think it's a trap, maybe a humanistic trap within and without the church, to figure if we just take a term and not even define it all that well, and now we can dismiss other people, dismiss our responsibility to them, and basically stay in our own ghettos and never really look in terms of how might I have an effect on those people who apparently disagree with me.
0: Right. Yeah. And how, how they are perceived in our mind has changed that way too. You know, we have talked about in previous podcasts, how our labels give people a separation from us. So when we say, I think you've used this example before, like how could somebody believe in socialism? That's crazy. Or how could somebody believe in the right to kill an innocent child in the womb? Pro-choice people, it's nuts. Or they use these kind of labels. And what they're doing is they're taking away responsibility from those people by assigning these these labels. Now, when you talk about labels, I think we're also getting to ideas of vocation and calling. If you talk about the labels that God puts on us first. Uh, There are certain ontological realities that we're born with. Uh, In our state, here in California, we struggle with ontological realities. We struggle with the idea of sex or gender. We don't know who is born a boy or who is born a girl, and we are so confused that we can't even figure out the right paperwork to use. We can't figure out uh, which bathrooms to use. We can't figure out which colors they should wear. And they've... Allowed the idea of labeling to get in the way of not only what nature itself teaches through anatomy and uh, physical characteristics, through hormones, through uh, natural psychological preferences, they've allowed what God has said in His Word through uh, His ideas of roles, responsibilities, identity. Those have all been pushed aside in exchange for personal labels and preferences. And so you can see very easily in our modern culture how our Labels that we create have obfuscated really the realities that God has hoped to uh, demonstrate. So, if you were to start with creation and the realities of man and creation, you have first a man who is made in the image of God. His first label is image bearer. And so, there's something very special that comes with that because being an image bearer means you do things like the persons whose image you're made out of. You're doing things that reflect your creator. So, the first thing you do like your creator, is create. So Adam is intrinsically, as a matter of labels from God, is he is somebody who creates, who works, who develops. Uh, There's a great book by uh, uh, N.T. Wright, who talks about this idea of creation, of human identity and human work, that from the very beginning of creation, in the Paradise Garden, Adam is given the label of man, who creates in the image of God that that is then cursed and his labor becomes difficult. But the idea of working and having the label of creative is part of his identity still under the curse. And that in the next life, life after life after death, the man who lives in heaven in the presence of God still has this label, this proper biblical creational label of being made in the image of God. Therefore, we can expect in heaven that we will be creative, we'll be working, we'll be developing. There will be classical music that is developed 10,000 years from now that will be enjoyed by people in heaven a million years from now. This idea of of labeling uh, is something of a creational reality. Now, take that against what we allow the label to come to us today is, well, I'm not very good at something or that's not my specialty. I have students who tell me they're not very good at math, or they're not very good at a particular subject, or studying, or sleeping, or paying attention. And they use those labels of themselves as excuses to escape the labels of creation, a call to excellence that God has already put on you.
1: So think about it. If we're not going to go back to, thus saith the Lord, which is really where we should get our basis for definitions, for orientation, things like that. If we don't say, thus saith the Lord, then we have to say, thus saith someone else. So is it the social engineers? Is it the psychologists? My child is learning impaired, ADHD, hyperactive, whatever it is. What we do is we then put a boundary around this child and we somehow say it's impossible to bust out of it. And anybody who knows anything about what goes on in state schools, it's very hard once you're labeled something to get rid of the label. And so how I dealt with my own children, how I deal with my current students, most of whom are homeschool moms or women who want to be homeschool moms, when they say, well, I'm not very good at that. And I went, good, now you know what you have to get better at. Because God created you in such a way to do what he's called you to do. So if the Bible says you should do something, rest assured that God has innately inserted in who you are the ability to obey him. And if you're blessed by the Holy Spirit, then you really have no good excuse. Now, that's not to say that I have to claim that I'm a great singer. Well, no, but I can sing. I I might be able to say, well this is not how I would make a living. I'm certainly not the best person to teach this, but it doesn't mean I can't appreciate good music or what it sounds like for someone to sing properly. It's just that we don't have to be confined or restricted by the world's labels. We need to embrace God's labels.
0: That's right. And I think that more important that we don't have to, but the mark of the Christian is that we are not and the Epistle to the Galatians, Saint Paul talks about uh, this in the second chapter, where he says that the the old man, the the flesh, the old person, the person that we were before we were saved, before we were having this encounter with Christ, that that old person was crucified with Christ. That this this natural person who you are. So if you have a label in your life, uh, whether it's a label that you have earned yourself or you've given yourself, you look in the mirror and you say. I'm fat, or it's a label that somebody else has given to you, right? They say, well, you're, you're not worth my respect. Or if there's another label that you have, you have earned through your own um, you know, misdeeds or, or failures, I'm not wealthy, I'm not productive, I'm not successful. These labels that we give ourselves, those belong to the old person that was crucified with Christ. But Jesus tells us, and St. Paul communicates this, that that old person and its labels no longer live, but rather that Christ lives in place of those. And so when we think through our labels, there is not one negative label, there's not one negative idea about who we are that Christ cannot replace, right? Because none of those labels apply to Christ. We can't look to Christ and find any fault. And, of course, we know that theologically means that there's, there's no sin in him. But in every single way, Christ is perfect. In every single way, Christ is renewing who you are. In every single way, Christ is making up for whatever shortcoming you might have. And so for us to be crucifying our old person and allowing Christ to live in us means that we have to put away the labels that are our hindrances, that are holding us back, and accept, believe, right? This is kind of the this transitive idea that that christ is talking about we are responding to christ's declarations about who we are and so salvation is not so much that we do something that changes who we are but rather that christ has done something already and we are responding to that and allowing his new labels right and so some of those labels are redeemed saved renewed and so do your labels that you currently have for yourself in your mind, the labels that you think when you look in the mirror, the labels that you think when you look at your bank account or your internet browsing history, those addictions that you claim to have, are those labels more powerful than what Christ has done uh, on the cross? And the answer is no and never.
1: Think about the fact we're saints. If we're the people of God, Renewed by the Holy Spirit. But that's not what people mean by saint today. A saint is somebody who puts up with a lot of annoyance, right? The saints are the ones who are supposed to rule the kingdom of God in Jesus' name. And so if we take words, and I'm i a saint, you're a saint, I'm a daughter of the king. If I don't embrace that label which the Bible gives me, then I'm not going to fulfill the calling God has given me. And instead of saying, I'm not able, we should be saying, Christ is able, and my sanctification is all about being more like Jesus Christ.
0: That's right. Well, this last week, we had VBS here at at our church, and one of the the projects that the kids did, related to what you just said, is they did Saul to Paul uh, snacks. And so they had these little cheese crackers, and they had cheese Whiz, which, you know, Five, six, and seven-year-olds love playing with cheese Whiz. And they made crackers of, of Saul. And as you as you think about who Saul is in Scripture, the, the word that the Bible uses, he was a, a violent man. But there's a lot of other labels that were attached to him. He was a leader. He was part of the Sanhedrin. He was a Pharisee. He was a Roman citizen. There was all these labels that were applied to who uh, Saul was. Well, in this BBS craft, they drew a little... Frowny face with cheese whiz to show who he was, and then they describe how Saul had this conversion, how the uh, scales fall from his eyes, how he 's illuminated, how his entire perception of himself changes, and his identity changes from Saul to Paul, of course, and the kids draw a smiley face in cheese whiz to show the transition here from from Saul. To Paul. And there's a number of characters in the scripture. You can show how their labels change. And apart from going from a persecutor of the church to a saint in the church, because certainly St. Paul is one of those guys who's highly considered to have achieved uh, some stature of sainthood with his 13 letters in the, the New Testament and all that. But he did not allow his former labels to define his future, right? Could you imagine if when Christ came to him and he refused to answer the call to be an apostle and ambassador because of his past labels? There are a number of characters, and Paul's included, who attempt to argue back with God about how those labels prevent them from doing what God has called them to do. But rather, and Andrea, you're actually one who has told me this recently, it's those labels, those things or weaknesses about us that actually allow us to have the tools and skills to do what God calls us to do in the future. Like for example, if, if one of our labels or, or weaknesses is that we're too nice, right? Or we're too harsh or too critical. There's always an inverse side of those traits or labels that is what God is using for the kingdom work.
1: And that doesn't mean that, that you have a free reign to say, well, I'm nasty because that's how God made me. Again, if we go back to the scripture, we go back to the fact that our salvation is a process where we go from reprobate enemy of God to becoming holy as God is holy. So the point from which we come to terms with our sin, the rest of it is our sanctification. And that's where The old man goes away, and we say, you know what? If I'm the one who needs to do this, then I have to learn how to do this. We can't forget that it was predominantly fishermen who started this thing called Christendom. Now, yes, they got help from the Pharisee Saul and other men who had intellectual and learned backgrounds and whatnot, but nobody has the excuse to say, I'm not qualified, because it acts like, well— you know, God really didn't have much to pick from and he, you know, chose me. And I, I, you know, no, we have to rise to the occasion. We are the instruments that God has placed to go ahead and fulfill the Great Commission. So if we have an area of weakness, then that should become an area of strength because that's what we'll work on.
0: That's right. And there's some danger to labels as well. I think our culture has the tendency to really believe in the supremacy of what Rushduni called a a mythology, talking about uh, psychology and modern pseudosciences and the effect those branches of thinking have on who we are. There are a number of disorders, mental, psychological, uh, behavioral, um, that we allow to define who we are, right? If I say, autism, or um, spectrum disorder, or bulimia, or if I go through a bunch of different behavioral disorders, the temptation for you, because you believe that there's science behind these things, that there's data behind these, is you go from that being a disorder or a characteristic of a behavior to creating a label out of that. If I mention somebody who struggles with bulimia, you jump to That person is a bulimic, right? Our culture very naturally takes disorders and makes them into labels. We have this very same discussion happening right now with with same-sex attraction. Take somebody who is struggling with a particular sin. God very clearly says this is a sin. And we transform a disordered behavior into a label that defines who we are. Instead of saying same-sex attraction is a sin, just like every other sin that needs to be mortified, needs to be done away with, and we need to find the new man behind that sin, we say, oh, no, I'm a homosexual. We allow a label to define our future rather than allowing God and his work of redemption to transform our future to be something else beside our labels. And you can do that for a variety of disorders and behaviors, or you can do that for your own personal situations. You can say, not smart, not well-to-do, not capable, not able-bodied. And what label you choose to accept of who you are is going to determine who you become.
1: That goes into the whole elevation of when people have letters after their name. What the letters after their name should indicate a little bit about their past, kind of like an address. Oh, you used to live here. Oh, you went to this school. You went through a course of study but it doesn't mean that you're good at it. It doesn't mean you're reliable. I used to have this running argument with my husband who would preface some of his remarks. Well, well, I'm not a rocket scientist. And I would say, (laughs) yeah, I know that I'm married to you. But what makes us think that a rocket scientist has a moral and ethical um, elevation that would make us even believe that things that he or she says are necessarily legitimate or reliable. There are plenty of people with letters after their name that falsify data, that actually lie outright. Or he would say, I'm not the sharpest pencil in the box. And I'd say, well, go get a pencil sharpener and make yourself sharper. In other words, (laughs) it's, it's kind of like a false humility that says, I'm not very good at this. But that's not what we're called to do. We're called to be ambassadors. We're called to be soldiers. We're called to be representatives. And so we've got to get really good at it. And that's why we need to be perpetual learners. Right. I, I don't remotely think that I know everything I need to know. And I'm always grateful when I find an area of weakness or ignorance and I get a chance to do something to turn that around.
0: Right. And, and you know... Your husband Ford, you know him pretty well, and I'm not going to ask this well, on. Well,
1: I would say so
0: <laughs> on a on a very personal level, but in a general sense, what do you think causes people to come up with these things to say to hedge their opinions or their ideas or their efforts with? Well, I'm not a rocket scientist, or I'm not that sharp. What do you think is motivating them saying that that they feel that what they're about to say needs to be protected?
1: I think a lot of it is. The ruler that they're using isn't the best one. And on my husband's behalf, almost every place he's worked, he's in car sales, he usually is extremely successful. And people will ask him, so how is it, because in his younger days, invariably the salesman of the month, what do you do? What is your secret? And he would say, I pray for my customers. And they'd go, oh, okay, so you're not going to tell us. And he'd go, no, I actually (laughs) pray. Right. And they still were sure that he was like, OK, this is a secret. You don't know. What, I don't know what you're doing. And we would have friends coming from way outside the area to go ahead and purchase a car where they could have purchased a car. Any number of dealerships within the 150 miles of where they lived, because we're saying, of course, I'm successful because God's allowing my light to shine. But when we're in a culture that minimizes the Bible, minim- you can't even really talk about Jesus Christ culturally without being, you know, unless it's a, some sort of nasty word or you stubbed your toe. The point is Christians really need to embrace what God says we are, as you've said, and unashamedly go out and do it. So That's right. some of the best teachers I know, homeschooling or otherwise, they do not have teaching credentials. And you talk to most people who've run Christian schools it's really difficult sometimes with the ones who do have secular teaching credentials because they don't view children as being made in the image and likeness of God. They view them as somebody in a little Skinner box who you just have to basically program and regiment their entire life and tell them what to think rather than how to think.
0: That's right. Well, and it comes back to this idea, I think, and not that your husband believes this, but that there's a fear that perhaps they are wrong or perhaps the thing that they're proposing is not good enough or the thing that they're pursuing isn't worthy. And so they need to protect what they're saying by by hedging it with these qualifications. You know, I, I've i worked in, in churches where people come up with all kinds of different uh, labels to defend their success or failures. Things like they hedge the attendance on a Sunday by saying, well, you know, it's the middle of the summer. Um, and so these are the summer months becomes a label to excuse why there's a dip in, uh, in attendance or, uh, somebody who's working in a business say, well, you know, the economy is really bad. So the label bad economy becomes an excuse or a hedge for their responsibility to, to do well. And so this is a place where labels affect our personal life, but they also affect how we view ourselves in terms of the uh, responsibility as kingdom workers who are advancing a particular kingdom. Now I think of, and the book of Judges where it describes uh, everybody did what was right in their own eyes. Like that's the the idea of the entire book of Judges, this anarchy that exists where everyone comes up with their own labels of what is right, what is wrong, how we should rule each other, what are the, the goals of our culture. And this idea of judge in that context Judge has to do with uh, expanding God's kingdom. It has to do with uh, fulfilling his covenant promises. And so if you take judge in that context of of doing what's right in God's eyes and coming up with appropriate labels, judging the times rightly, and then we go back to our Lord Jesus Christ's words there in the Gospel of St. Matthew, where he says, judge not that you be not judged. There's Obviously, there's the personal sense of, of judging individual sins. But there's also this kingdom or political or sociological idea of Christians in their actions and labels are judging their circumstances. And here's what I mean by this. We make excuses for why the kingdom's not advancing. We judge the circumstances that we are in today. This is especially true here in in liberal parts of the country. It's too rich in Silicon Valley. We judge it is too rich in Silicon Valley for people to care about the gospel. They're too rich for God. Or we judge people are too far gone in their love for agnosticism, atheism, science. We judge ourselves that uh, what God has said, we create these labels of the realities of God's kingdom. Now, the problem, I think, with that is that the Lord says that the saints... Uh, shall so judge the earth. St. Paul says that, do you not know that the, the saints of God will judge even the angels? There is this idea that the labels that we put on things, the way that we judge things, good and bad, is going to have an effect on futures. And so if we don't believe the Lord's promises that the judgment for this world is that the sin and the reprobate will be destroyed and the faithful and the covenantally obedient will be elevated and given the promises of the kingdom, well, then our labels are working directly against our Lord's favor. But if we do believe the things that the gates of hell shall not prevail, if we do believe that wherever the word of God goes, it does not fall void or return void, then when we judge things with labels, are we giving labels that reflect the reality of this post post-monial vision that the world's getting better? that people are going to be converted, that the worlds are going to change, the churches are going to grow, the students are going to get smarter, the businesses are going to get better. Do we really judge? Do we really apply labels in the way that God has commanded us to do according to our own eschatology?
1: I almost get the impression of people walking around and it's important that they identify what post-it note labels they're walking around with and really examine them in the light of scripture and hopefully... They'll look down and say, no, that doesn't apply to me. Never did. I I said it did, but it doesn't, or it doesn't apply to me anymore. But it's not that we have to forget what it was, our mindset was. It becomes part of our testimony that says, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. The author of that accepted the reality that he was blind, but now he has been given God's vision. And so it probably is a really good exercise for all of us to identify what post-it notes fit for right now and should they, and what we need to do in response, in obedience, and in gratitude for the fact that we've been brought into the family of God. And so instead of looking at, that's a millennial, or that's just you know some sort of geek, or that's just somebody who's new age that we start looking at the people and finding a way, if God has put them in our path, to engage them. Because if you have all the money in the world, you still can have illness. If you have all the money in the world, you can still have children who are problematic.
0: That's right. Can I go the opposite side of that? You talk about negative labels. A positive label is not enough to demonstrate faithfulness. Uh, So what I mean is, A lot of people who we talk to would take the label Reformed. They'll take the label Postmillennial. They'll take the label even something as extreme as Christian Reconstructionist. They want to collect these labels. They put them on their Facebook profile. They put them on their business card. They put them on the uh, dust cover of their books they publish, right? You're not really that label unless you do the things that label requires. You're not really a Christian unless you're obeying the vows that you made at your baptism. You're not really Reformed if you're not acting out the idea that God is sovereign over all of history. If you're bunkering down and afraid of the future, you don't believe in Reformed theology. Right? If you bunker down and you refuse to accept that God's advance in history and you run away from his commitments, you're not a post-millennialist. If you refuse to apply God's word in your marriage or your business or your school, you're not really a Christian reconstructionist. It's not enough to claim the label if you don't have the effort, the ideas, the work, the, the action to match that label. It's not just about collecting labels. It's about living out what those labels mean.
1: Which goes back to, are you a Christian because you once responded to an altar call? Or are you a Christian because God, before the foundations of the world, called you into his family and you became aware of your need of him and your total inability to save yourself? And the question now becomes, do you wear that new label, that new identity, faithfully? Just because we don't choose God and he chooses us doesn't mean that we're not full of secondary causal events that says that we have the ability to be obedient or disobedient, faithful or not. He didn't create robots. He created people. And just like we can't hide behind, well, I'm a Christian, I was baptized, or whatever it is. There are responsibilities that go with that designation. So it's not just a post-it note you stick on yourself and say, I'm good now, I've got my label. The label has to continually be one in which you are becoming more and more like Christ.
0: That's right. And uh, there's a word that we should continually think about attaching to our labels, and that's faithful. There's some labels that you can't ever take off. They're not like post-it notes. They're permanent. Once you get married, that label of husband is stuck to you. That's one of the labels that you are. And so your decisions each and every day allow that label to be positive or the label to be negative. It might be a faithful husband or an unfaithful husband, and that's in how I treat my wife, my children, my uh, picture of what marriage is and how I value it. But that applies to every other label you have as well that you can't remove immediately. You're a Christian. You can't say, I don't believe in God and stop being a Christian. Now you are an unfaithful Christian. You have broken your vows. And so this idea of, of labels is not just to have them or not to have them, but the ones that God has stated that are inescapable. Are you living faithfully to them as a child of God, as a co laborer of God, as a vice regent of God, as an ambassador of God? Are you faithful to those calls that God has on your
1: life? This then will answer a lot of questions for people. I've recently had opportunity to have many conversations about people who are trying to get their heads around the idea of God's law being applicable now as when God gave those laws through Moses and then expanded on them in terms of case law and history where we can see how God judged certain things. It all depends on whether or not you're going to embrace this designation as Christian. So sometimes people ask, well, you know, I don't know how to make a decision on this local issue that's being presented to me on the ballot. And the answer is identify with your label as a Christian. Which means that there is no neutral ground. There's going to be proposals or propositions or candidates, and you've got to answer to your designation as a Christian, a faithful Christian, how you're going to make your decision. Now, does that mean that every decision that I make as a Christian is right? No, doesn't mean that. However, if I'm continually examining myself and studying and learning, then I'll discover if previous decisions were bad ones. And then I confess it, God forgives me, and I resolve not to make the same mistake or the same bad decision. But with this as a mindset that we bear the labels that God gives us and we endeavor to do it responsibly, that's something that lasts a lifetime and it makes life until God takes us home very exciting and challenging.
0: That's right. Labels are so interesting because when we think of, of Christ and of the crucifixion, there's a very prominent label that's put above his crucified body, right? You know the story. The Romans put a label right above his head. How, how interesting that they chose to, to label what they were doing. That label, of course, is king of the Jews. And the Jews were ridiculing this kind of idea. How is he the king of the Jews? And the Romans meant this label to be, you know, mocking him. Here's the king of the Jews being crucified. But we who are are Christians see that label, even though it was intended to be a pejorative label, to be the truth, right? He really was king of the Jews. He was king of all of Abraham's seed that was going to cover the entire world and whose sons shall be kings of the earth, right? Today, as Christians, we need to look at the labels that the world is giving to us, right? So many of our beliefs and our ideas are being labeled as hate, or old-fashioned, or backwards, or non-rational. And we need to think of it in the sense of the labels that the world, like the Romans, put over Christ is the same thing that's happening to you. You're going to be given labels that are meant to be a mock and a scorn to you. But the reality is, the labels that the world is throwing at you are sometimes labels that we need to embrace.
1: Wasn't it true that it was in Antioch where they were first known as Christians and that wasn't necessarily a compliment?
0: Right. To to, to call someone a Christian meant they belonged to some schismatic Jewish sect, right? (laughs) So to be labeled as a schismatic or following some other group was, was a pejorative thing. But today, to be a Christian is you know, a pride. You can't get elected president unless you claim to be Christian of some sort. You can't go <laughs> be right. nominated Supreme Court justice if you don't claim to be a Christian of some sort. So there still is this power in labels. And so right. we need to ask, are we seeking labels because we really want approval from the world? Or are we responding to the labels that Christ put on us? I mean, the most important label, of course, is that label in the Lamb's Book of Life, where Christ puts your name down, labels you down as part of the redeemed people, the people that he died for. That's the label that you're ultimately striving for as an individual, but you're doing it in this life where there's numerous other labels that are going to be applied to you, attached to you, and you're going to have to work through whether those labels are from God or from man.
1: And in closing, I think this very much ties in with not being ashamed The gospel, not being ashamed of our designation. I've had times where people have said, Well, you just think everybody should worship Jesus Christ, and they're saying it like I'm supposed to go, No, 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 I think everybody should decide. I go, Yes, that's true. And then, of course, it's like now we have to talk about why I say that. What we don't need to do is act as though God needs a marketing agent, so we have to lessen what He says. If He says that adultery is a capital crime and People are challenging that. Our answer is, "Thus saith the Lord." That's what that's what the Bible says. I'd be more than happy to discuss it with you, so you understand how God, in His wisdom, created that, so that we would have orderly societies as opposed to what we have now. But let's at least know what labels we should have, and then don't shy away from them if somebody calls us one of those labels.
0: That's right. And uh, just as a closing remark, the The culture we live in really emphasizes, you know, uh, being real, being honest, not allowing outward appearances to, to create labels for people. And on a very basic level, every Christian should agree with that, right? It's, it's not what's on the outside that defines a label. It's what God says. Unfortunately, what God says about every single person is he labels them all sinners destined for hell. Uh, And so we need to work through the labels. Uh, that Christ has said, and realize that our relationship with other peoples and the labels we have for other people begin with recognizing people are sinners, but with the anticipation, the goal, the excitement, the way that the angels are rejoicing that people who were destined for hell could have their labels changed and be sent into paradise. Uh, And that should be the anticipation for every single Christian, looking to change the labels from dead to redeemed.
1: I think that's a, that's a really concise way to sum it up. Well, thank you, Steve, and thank you, listeners. As I said earlier, you have some questions that you would like to hear discussed, send them along to outofthequestionpodcast at gmail.com, and we will tackle them. Until next time, Steve.
0: Very good. Thanks for listening to Out of the Question. For more information on this and other topics, please visit calcedon.edu.